I'm Rabbit. Um, I was raped by a friend, and when I reached out to the Minneapolis Police Department, they took my story and assured me that justice would be served, and then ignored me for a while, and when I got back in contact with them, they told me that they were not going to prosecute the person, even though he admitted that he did it. This is the Inside the News podcast, Investigating Rape. This podcast is a collaboration between the Star Tribune and WCCO Radio. We look at how law enforcement in Minnesota handles the investigation and prosecution of rape and sexual assault. What you're about to hear is based on the reporting and audio recordings of Brandon Stahl, Jennifer Bjorhus, Mary Jo Webster, and video journalist Renee Jones-Schneider. I'm your host, Jordana Green. In our last episode, we focused on the attitudes of law enforcement and how sex crimes are not a priority. In this episode, you'll hear how and why prosecutors are not charging suspects, even when a case against them is solid. This is the story of Rabbit. I've only been in Minneapolis for since last August, and... um, In the time that I've been here, I've been through a lot. I've been robbed, raped, thrown to the side by the justice system. Rabbit says she was raped by an acquaintance when he came to her apartment to look at a room she had to rent. When he showed up at my house, he had already been drinking some sort of, I remember it was some sort of like spiked iced tea or spiked fruity drink or something. He was drinking while he was driving to my house, yeah. The original thing was he was gonna come and he was gonna look at this room that I had for rent. And it just so happened it was a Monday night and that was typically a night that I went out to go dance to reggae music and, you know, my own personal thing that I love to do. And he said, okay, well, I'll go along with you. When we went out, he had a bunch of, you know, red stripe beers, which I hear are very high in alcohol content. At the end of the night, Rabbit offered to drive home. She doesn't drink. And then when we went to leave, I said, you want to give me the keys? I'll drive. And he was like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I said, are you sure? Because I'm cool. I can drive. I don't drink. And he said, no, no, I'll, I'll drive. And that was probably the most terrifying drive that I've been through. It was bad. And that is the reason that I allowed him to stay the night at my house. And there was never, you know, I was like, I'm going to bed. It was never, did I ever lead him to believe that we were going to do anything. But I watched him almost hit someone and drive at ridiculous speeds down the street, slamming on his brakes and slamming on the gas. And I wasn't about to put anyone else's life in danger. So um, when he walked in after me, I said, I'm going to go to bed. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to sleep here so that I don't have to drive home. And I said, okay, I'm going to go to bed. You know, and that's how he ended up staying in my house at all. Rabbit says she was very clear. She was just doing him a favor by letting him crash on her couch. 
when he got in, just started pulling everything away and grabbing at me and pulling my clothes off. And, you know, of course, I repeatedly was like, stop, no, this isn't happening. And I told him all those reasons. I don't, you know, I don't sleep with people. I don't do hookups. I'm not intending to have intercourse or any sort of relationship physical with someone that I'm not in a relationship with. And I said, no, you need to stop. I'm not, I'm not going there with you. And he proceeded to continue to pull my clothes off and push me face down on the bed. And Rabbit says he raped her once that night and again in the morning. The next day, she went to the hospital, completed a rape exam, and reported the attack to the Minneapolis Police Department. A police officer came and interviewed me. I went down to meet with the detective, um, which was a very hard experience. The sergeant seemed to be trying to back me into a corner and find a way to make me at fault for what happened. Rabbit persisted. She says she even suggested that they call her attacker to see if he would confess over the phone. Police call this investigative tactic a pretext call. This is that call. Because the suspect was never charged with a crime, we've altered his portion of the call in order to protect his identity. Hello? Hey. Hey. Can you talk? Not good. Why was wrong? What do you mean, why was wrong? Do you know well, what's wrong? I'm no. having a really hard time. I uh, understand. I just don't. Did I call you yesterday or yesterday? I don't know. I'm right, and I can't answer because I don't. I'm falling apart. I don't. I don't understand. Why you didn't listen to me when I said no? I don't know either. I'm just fucking it was, it was completely wrong of me. I know. Completely wrong of me. And it, we were friends, like. I know, and, I, and you know what? I'm hating myself for it. I'm completely hating myself for it. I just, I don't understand. I never, I never, I never gave you permission. I never said. Yes, I said no. I said no. I said no. I said no. I've been killing myself about it too. I'm just like completely distraught. I've actually, since that day, I haven't had a drop of alcohol. Not a single drop. Well, that's and good. I've just been, like, I've been distraught. Me too. Me too. And it's not, it's not. You know what consent is, right? You know that. I do, yes. And I told you, like, I, I did not give you permission for this. I told you that if you wanted me, you needed to wait. I, I know. I'm just, I'm fucking completely just dumbfounded by my actions. I, I really am. I really needed you to wait for permission. You know, without permission, it's rape. That's what that is. I do. I'll never forgive myself for it. I don't know what I can do. 
which is why you needed to stop when I told you to stop. There is no way to make it better. There's no way to make it better. I, I know. It's not okay. It wasn't. I just need to know why. I need to know why you didn't stop. I don't know why. I really don't know why. I, I really don't have an answer for that. how fucked up I am over this. I am. I am so sorry. I am. I just... I feel completely miserable about it. And like I said, it's not... I'm, I'm so pissed off at myself. And I'm so sad that I hurt you. I hear you. I got a call on the other line. I have to go. I'll talk to you later. Sergeant Brian Carlson, now retired from the Minneapolis Police Department, recorded that call with Rabbit. And he said, yeah, he's going to go to prison. And then it was in the few minutes after that that we talked about how he was in the Air Force, or it was military, and was very close to his retirement. And Brian kind of like raised his eyebrows and seemed like, oh, oh, well, you know. And in speaking with um, both the sexual violence advocate and the other detective from Oregon, they both confirmed that this is something that happens often, that um, to have someone who is a you know, seemingly has almost no record. He's a good old American white boy in the military. Um, it's unlikely that he's going to get prosecuted because they look at things like that. We'll just leave that right there. Still, Rabbit had high hopes. She spoke with colleagues in law enforcement who said a taped confession is the gold standard of evidence, and she had a very good chance of seeing justice. A month later, she hadn't heard anything. So she called the investigator. And I said, okay, well, nobody's called me to tell me anything. What's going on? He said, they're not going to prosecute him. And I said, why not? You have a recorded admission of guilt. He told you that he did it. And he admitted that it was rape. Why aren't they doing anything? And he said, well, I can't tell you anything. You need to call this woman, Amy, who's the prosecutor, the ultimate answer was they were not going to prosecute him and that the reason they were not going to prosecute him was because I didn't fight back hard enough and I didn't leave my own home and refuse to come back and that in the eyes of a jury these days with all of the CSI cases and all of the television shows that a jury wants for all of the evidence and the whole story to be in a nice neat little package. I couldn't believe it. 
I honestly could not believe that Hennepin County was not going to prosecute with the kind of evidence that they had. So I called them and asked why. The county attorney's office wouldn't agree to a taped interview, but they did release a statement. The crux of it is this, quote, The case was reviewed two different times by two experienced sexual assault attorneys. The review evaluated the use of force, coercion, or if the victim was physically helpless. The review required a thorough evaluation of all the evidence included in the investigation. That included the recorded apology, which was not an admission of this crime. The decision not to charge the suspect was the same after both reviews. I still could not wrap my brain around the fact that they weren't going to charge. So I called Roger Canaf. Roger is a career special victims prosecutor who worked as an assistant attorney general in New York and has also trained U.S. Army prosecutors on special victims cases. Currently, he teaches law school and consults with law enforcement around the country on issues of sexual assault. We listen to Rabbit's pretext call together. You know what consent is, right? You know that... And I told you, like, I, I did not give you permission for this. I told you that if you wanted me, you needed to wait. I, I know. I'm just, I'm players that I'm fucking in. We you just don't follow me by my head. I, I really know. I really needed you to wait for permission. You know, without permission, it's rape. That's what that is. I, I know. Right there, Roger. He admits yeah. that he knew it was rape. Yeah. I was waiting for her. I was waiting to see if she was actually going to name the crime, and she did. She said, you know, if it happens without permission, it's rape. That's what it is. And he said, I know, and I'm sorry. I wish I knew what to do. Yeah, that, that's about as clear. That, that's about as successful a pretext phone call as I've ever heard. So why didn't the prosecutor charge it? I don't know. I haven't the slightest idea. I mean, again, I, I, I am always extremely careful not to judge another DA because I don't have their jury pool. I don't have their resources. I don't have what's in front of them. So obviously, from a distance, it's, it's not fair for me to say uh, this person should have done X or Y. But I can tell you that what I just heard, what you shared with me, was, again, about as successful a pretext phone call as I've ever heard. It really doesn't get any better than that in terms of a suspect admitting that, you know, that he engaged in a, in a sexual act without the consent of the caller. I can't imagine stronger evidence, at least from that standpoint. So what, what the prosecutor's other reasons for, or, or excuse me, were, and what went into his or her calculus, I couldn't say, but that is a, that was a, a pretty, pretty ridiculously strong demonstration of what could be considered an admission. Just to give you the full picture also, the prosecutor told Rabbit uh, another reason they did not charge was because she did not leave her own house. It happened in her home. She did not leave. And the second reason is that she did not fight back hard enough. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. There, there's no requirement that the victim fight back. I mean, again, these the, whether or not the victim, quote unquote, fought back is something that a jury may appreciate or take into consideration. But there's certainly no legal requirement that the, and I'm, I know that this includes Minnesota. There's no legal requirement that the victim fight back. I mean, 
again, unfortunately, this is, it sounds like a prosecutor shying away from a case because he or she just didn't think there was a likelihood of success for whatever reason. But I, at least so far from what I'm hearing and the context I understand it, there would have been no ethical impediment to bringing a case like that. The ethical impediment Kanoff is referring to is also called the ethical obligation. In Minnesota, it's the minimum requirement for filing and maintaining criminal charges. The statute actually reads, a prosecutor should seek to file criminal charges only if they reasonably believe that the charges are supported by probable cause, that admissible evidence will be sufficient to support conviction beyond a reasonable doubt, and that the decision to charge is in the interest of justice. Investigative journalists Brandon Stahl and Jennifer Bjorhus have just published the fifth installment of Denied Justice at the Star Tribune. They found this ethical obligation to be subjective, depending on who you talk to, and is often used as an excuse for prosecutors not to press charges. There's a broader issue that prosecutors are going to point to time and time again is that they don't feel that they can get a conviction beyond a reasonable doubt or proof beyond a reasonable doubt that this happened. They're not going to take a case. But that's very subjective, and it's a guessing game. I mean, who knows what a jury is going to do? And when we speak with prosecutors elsewhere, they say that that's the wrong way to approach these cases, that it's, do you have evidence? Sufficient. Sufficient evidence. Sufficient evidence. For a conviction. Right. But I saw the note that the prosecutor's office sent, the statement said, even after review of the tape, where the guy says, I know it was wrong. I know you said no. They said that wasn't even sufficient. So what's sufficient evidence? That's a very good question. That's a great question. Uh, We've had one um, prosecutor uh, from outside the state uh, tell us that... um, in many states, the, the testimony of the victim is sufficient evidence for a conviction. Your question of what it takes is a great question. We often don't know. You know, as part of the story, we are finding cases or found cases where there seems to be very good evidence to suggest that an assault occurred, like in Rabbit's case where there was a call with him apparently confessing. Um, we found DNA evidence in cases. We found injuries in other cases. And yet these and yet charges are not being uh, pressed against the suspects. Even if prosecutors are hiding behind this ethical obligation, claiming they don't have sufficient evidence to prosecute, the numbers of prosecuted cases in Minnesota is abysmal. The stats that are fresh in my mind is that we still have three quarters of cases that are never even sent to prosecutors. Prosecutors charge a little less than half that they are given and we have an overall conviction rate of about 7% of the case. 2016, so the most recent year that we can uh, we have this figure, was the fewest amount of convictions we had for sex crimes in the last 20 years. The number's going down. Why? I think it has to do with a lot of reasons and a lot of things that we're showing in this article, that prosecutors are just unwilling to take these cases. Even with DNA evidence, even now that we have text messages and we have a paper trail? Correct. Rabbit has since moved out of state and is focused on healing. Well, I'm dealing with a lot of PTSD. I have a lot of trauma. Um, There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of um, 
distrust of the system in general. You know, this system was supposed to be put in place to help bring about justice and failed completely to even attempt to, uh, to try and get justice, knowing that this person admitted that they did it. Um, this is exactly why women don't come forward. This is why women don't um, report rape and sexual violence, because we all know that the system is broken. And even when someone admits that they did it, the system won't do anything to help. And that's, that's why I tell my story. That's why I try to do my best to keep pushing the issue and being open and honest about it. Because there are so many women in this world who don't speak up about it. And that's why it's still in the shadows. And that's why the system has not changed. And it needs to change. The Inside the News Investigating Rape podcast is created by me, Jordana Green, Jared Goyette, and Dan Colhane with WCCO Radio. With reporting and audio credits from the Star Tribune's Brandon Stahl, Jennifer Bjorhus, Mary Jo Webster, and Renee Jones Schneider. Star Tribune editing credits are Abby Simons, Dave Hagi, Eric Wiffering, and Suki Dardarian. On our next episode... It was hard to face him. I didn't want to see him. It's like facing a monster, and I, that's what I called him. He was a monster. And he's like, he just glared at me the entire time. These creepy eyes. I didn't want to look at him. He just looked just evil. Not all who face evil are denied justice. Hear the story of Alicia on the next Inside the News Investigating Rape.